When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. I don't think you can truly change for the better in a lasting, meaningful way unless it is driven by self-acceptance. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Be inspired by women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams? What I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead. And by shining a light on those doing it well today, my hope is that more women will find their own voice. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch. It's so great to be here with all of you. Uh, Before we get started, I always like to give a brief reminder to stay with us during the breaks to catch the latest news and information from our watch team of on-air contributors. We are forever grateful for the support of our corporate partners and the women who keep us up to date on what's happening in their industries. As we continue to expand into new markets, we are always looking for additional corporate partners. So if you're interested in being a part of the show, feel free to email our associate producer, Taylor, taylor at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. And don't forget to download the podcast each week so you never miss a show. And sign up for our newsletter as well at womentowatch.net. So now I am very excited and honored to welcome to the show Susan McPherson. Susan is the founder and CEO of McPherson Strategies, and she's also the author of a wonderful book that's getting a lot of attention, The Lost Art of Connecting, and we will be talking about that. Susan, welcome to the show. I am so excited to be here, Sue, and congratulations on 10 years of success hosting and putting good content out into the world. That is not an easy feat. Wow. And you know, when I hear that number, I can't believe it myself. When <laughs> when you're in it, you don't realize how, how much time has gone by. So thank you for saying that. Um, and you're joining us from New York, Brooklyn, just so our listeners know where you're based. Absolutely. Beautiful Brooklyn Heights. Absolutely beautiful Brooklyn Heights. And I'm staring at the East River uh, and looking at Lower Manhattan. So it's, Very a, it's nice. a magical view. Yeah. Um, Listen, I wanted to start off with this story about your dad. I thought this was so very sweet and and says a lot about um, how you were raised and where you came from. Um, Your dad, who was a professor for a woman's college, said to you one day, you came home from school in the fifth grade with a D in conduct, which, by the way, I also got a D in (gasps) conduct. (laughs) Wow. For talking too much in class. Yes. Uh, and he said to you, good job. You should always speak up. 
Yes, yes. Tell me about your relationship with your dad. Well, I... My dad passed in 2008, but he indeed taught at a women's college, Russell Sage, uh, in upstate New York for close to 40 years. And it was remarkable because he would have uh, students and then he would have the daughters of those students and then the granddaughters of those students. And he would stay in touch with them throughout his entire you know, professional life and well after he retired. Um, but I was the youngest, so I think he was probably easier on me than my older brother and sister. And uh, I think he had finally, you know, obviously in the 50s and 60s, he definitely was a bit more old fashioned. I mean, I, I guess at the time it wasn't old fashioned. But by the time I came into the world and I was born in 64, but in the 70s with you know, women's lib and, you know, uh, a Ms. Magazine on the coffee table every day, he started to advance. Um, and I was the beneficiary of that. Uh, he always felt women, you know, deserved equal opportunities, equal chances, equal positions, and hence why he was such a passionate pro- defender of teaching women in college. Um, so, but he, he always reminded me, yes, you know, be, be noisy, (laughs) make, (laughs) make a mess because honestly, and I don't know if you felt this way, Sue, but when I came home with that report card, I thought my life was over. I really, I I certainly did. Yes. Yes. It was Catholic school and oh, oh, the guilt. I had such guilt about that day. Oh, I just, I just remember the horror, the embarrassment, you know, like that everybody would know. But then, of course, you know, I knew it was just me and my family, which sometimes made it worse because I couldn't tell people. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Susan, you talk a lot about being um, not not a lot about being the youngest, but about you're tiny in stature and always the smallest, you know, one in the room. Um, So it kind of pushed you to find your voice early. And I'm curious if you feel you've overcome now that perspective that of yourself, because sometimes those things stay with us from early age. Um, I have to be completely honest with you. It is a hundred percent stayed with me. Um, it is, it, I will say one of the magic, um, silver linings of this pandemic is when I'm on zoom after zoom after zoom and Microsoft teams, et cetera, I can be six feet tall, but my license says I'm five foot. Um, you know, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when I came of age, you know, growing up, for sure, when you look at class pictures, when they would show the entire class, I would be at the front because or the end, you know, because I was either the tall, you know, I was certainly the smallest, but, you know, depending on how they arranged the photograph. And it certainly when I, you know, came of age and then became an adult and I would walk into a room, no one would see me. So the only way to get into conversations with with others was one of two things, either being boisterous and loud um, to be noticed or make the conversation about them. And, mm. you know, for, for your audience members who've read my book, I talk a lot about asking questions of others. And I do believe mm-hmm. that, that that tendency in me grew out of trying to be part of the conversation in rooms where I wouldn't be seen. Yeah, I I think it's one of the greatest lessons in life to learn the ability to take the um, attention off of yourself and place it on the person you're standing in front of relieves so much anxiety and angst about, right? The networking. Yeah. Um, Susan, your mom worked in PR for PBS, and that's kind of exciting. What do you remember about her career? You know, perhaps some stories that that she brought home. Oh, absolutely. Well, she went back to work when I was in first grade. 
So I like to say I was one of the original latchkey kids in 1972 because I would come home from school. My brother and sister were significantly older than me, so they would, you know, have after school activities. But I would come home, you know, at three o'clock and let myself in. And so, you know, I'll be honest with you, when I was very young, there was a bit of resentment because all my friends' moms were home, right? You know, making the snacks when you came home from school and I would have to do my do that for myself. You know, 50 plus years later, I now realize that was actually a gift because it made me self-reliant, self-responsible, et cetera. But um, when I was in the fifth or sixth grade, she ended up working for uh, the local public television station. But at the same time, she also freelanced for various for for various other publications or platforms and always had amazing like tchotchkes and gifts that she would bring home. But the best part of her working for public television was there were always puppets in our house. Um, Big Bird, uh, you know, all the Sesame Street characters. Um, And then as I got older in high school, she would take me with her to the various newspaper um, and radio and TV stations because she'd be promoting the public television. So it was a way to learn about how the news industry works, um, how, you know, to watch how she connected because truly it was watching her connect and, and certainly my father as well that really indebted in me this thirst, enthusiasm, and excitement to make connections, to make introductions, because I saw it every day, you know, growing up. But it was really her, you know, getting in her VW Beetle um, and driving along with her and and wondering why there was a smell of cigarette smoke in the car, but she denied she smoked, Um, (laughs) and having conversations about that. But anyhow, I digress. That's something else that back in that day, you know, was not as taboo as it is today. Oh, God, no, no. But no. She, she never admitted it was what was crazy. That's funny. That's funny. Well, did it ever, did you ever have an inkling of perhaps going into media? I mean, you do a lot of that today, but it's not really the core of your work. But um, going into television and, well, you know. Well, I went to graduate school for broadcast journalism. Um, and I started in uh, September of, of 80, 86, I'm sorry, 80, yeah, 86. And sadly, she was killed in a horrible tragedy um, on New Year's Eve going into 1987. And then I had another semester of graduate school to, to go through. Um, and, you know, just to, just in complete transparency, it was because of her career in television that, that sparked me to want to go into production of TV. Um, and my first job after graduate school was at USA Today. So, yes, I did indeed follow to, you know, some semblance of her, right. her career. Right. Um, we're going to go into our first break. When we come back, I want you to share with our listeners um, what happened to your mom. I'm so sorry to hear that. Stay with us as we go into our break for, to hear from our watch team. And I'll be back with Susan McPherson, the founder and CEO of McPherson Strategies. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch, Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. In recent weeks, we've discussed obesity. What diet is most likely to keep us healthy? Well, for the fourth year in a row, the Mediterranean diet has been named the best diet overall in U.S. News and World Report's annual rankings. This morning on Your Radio Doctor, we spoke with Emily Rubin, registered dietitian and director of clinical dietetics for Jefferson GI and their celiac center. Numerous studies have shown that the Mediterranean diet is good for weight control and decreases risk of fatty liver, strokes, type 2 diabetes, and premature death. 
Now, there is no specific Mediterranean diet. Greeks eat differently than Italians, French from Spanish, but they share the same principle, a balanced diet. Lots of green veggies, spinach, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, along with carrots, cauliflower, fruits, apples, bananas, pears, grapes. For snacks, nuts and seeds, almonds, walnuts, cashews, sunflower and pumpkin seeds, whole grain breads and pasta, not white breads, lots of fish and seafood. Then in moderation, eat poultry, eggs and cheese and do not eat processed meats, refined grains and do not drink sugar laden beverages. Lots of water and it's okay to have a glass of red wine per day. Now here's an important tip. Success with the Mediterranean diet is not just about the types of food you eat. People who live along the Mediterranean are much more likely to have an active lifestyle. They live in smaller towns. They walk to the market or to work every day. The other big plus is sharing meals with other people and enjoying life. Don't think you can use unlimited olive oil if you don't step up your activity level. The DASH diet, dietary approach to stop hypertension, is pretty much the Mediterranean diet, but we add salt restriction that seems to make it more effective in controlling your blood pressure. So take a lesson from our friends in Europe. They live longer with less cancer and heart disease. Make healthy food choices, but step up your commitment to exercise and take time to smell the roses. Sit down and enjoy your meal with family and friends the way it's meant to be. Hear the entire show on yourradiodoctor.com. Bon appetit. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back to the show. I'm joined this evening by Susan McPherson. Susan is an author and she's the founder and CEO of McPherson Strategies. And Susan, just before the break, you you mentioned um, that your mom passed away. And I know it was when you were only 22 years old. Um, Tell us what happened and how that changed your life. When you think of the worst possible way somebody can, can die or be killed, I have to say my mother's demise was up there. Um, she was killed in a horrible hotel fire that uh, was responsible for the death of 97 people. It took place in Puerto Rico uh, at a hotel called the DuPont Plaza Hotel. And my parents had gone there on holiday. Um, they were living a commuting marriage at the time and would take these vacations to be able to see each other. And so over the holiday, Christmas, New Year's, Hanukkah break, of that year, 1986, um, they were staying at a hotel that didn't have slot machines, and my mom used to love to gamble. So my dad dropped her off at this hotel about 10 minutes before an arsonist set it on fire. Um, It was uh, due to a labor strife that was happening, uh, and she was in the casino that, of course, was the first to go up in flames. Mm. And this was the time before cell phones and email and, you know, so it was a few days before, you know, those of us in, on, on, in the United States states um, uh, could find out the actual final truth. And then, um, you know, it's funny, we talk about how memories can be just cemented in our brains. I can remember every single moment of that weekend, you know, everything I wore, the music I was listening to, um, mm. but you know, I now 34 years later, um, I could never say it was a gift. Of course, it was the most horrible thing that ever happened to me. But, you know, over and over again, I've learned um, how I have been able to carry on her memory, um, learn resiliency, um, but also just learn how precious every moment 
we have, right? You know, you just can't take things for granted. And the days that I do take things for granted, like I, like we all do as humans, I want to beat myself up because of all people, I should understand what, what mm. the worst case scenario is. Yeah. Um, the fragility of life, right? Absolutely. And yeah, absolutely. that's incredible. I'm so sorry you had to go through that, but I'm sure it, those events make us deeply reflect of right course, about what's course. important and what's not of course and you know I a lot of times now or at least in the last year being asked you know why I wrote a book or um sometimes I have to truly be quite honest and say to preserve her memory even though it's been all these years because there was such joy in writing the dedication page you know when you know the when I was asked by the publisher you know who do you want to dedicate the book to I I almost answered it before they asked it because I was so excited to to actually, you know, keep her memory alive all these years later when many, many people have moved on. I'd love to see a photograph of her. Oh, I I really would. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Something else, Susan, I wanted to talk to you about. You you funded 14 women led startups. And I wanted to ask you, what is it that you look for? when you decide where to place your support? Sure. Well, it's actually up to 19. Um, Oh, congratulations. (laughs) Even better. Well, for those of you looking to get into angel investing, I would not literally recommend my strategy because what happens is I fall in love with the founder and then I write a check. Um, And partially (laughs) this is thanks to my mom because sadly or tragically there was a class action lawsuit um, and my family, you know, was able to secure, you know, not enough to retire or anything like that, but certainly um, to compensate my father for what he had, you know, the loss that he had. And I put the, the, the amount, my, my quote unquote share, and I, I certainly don't want to sound crass, but I put that away for a rainy day. And about 10 years ago, when I realized I wasn't having children, I thought to myself, what would be a tremendous way to honor her um, and honor the fact that she's so... Um, uh, profoundly supported women and women, business, you know, women in business. And I thought to myself, by being able to fund other women with their dreams of creating a successful, viable business, could be a way. So it's really through her that I've been able to do this. Um, and I have to say, I don't rigorously look through financial pages. I don't look at the future of the company. I merely decide do I want to invest in this person because I adore Mm. what she is putting into the world, what she wants to create. Um, There have been a few failures, uh, but it hasn't stopped me from continuing to want to do it and, and realizing how much I learned from doing it because as a uh, entrepreneur myself and an entrepreneur fairly late in life, I founded my company at age 48. uh, I can learn from these, these women. So, you know, it is, it it isn't all one-sided. By having that mm. seat at a table, I get an insider's view at how these um, companies are run. Yeah, <clears throat> it, it kind of relates to, you know, so much of your work is recognizing the importance of human connection. And four years ago, you had a, an epiphany um, and you were recognizing that people were, as you described, were becoming slaves to the clicks and the likes and the followers. And um, that's so superficial. What I want to know is what made you take that idea beyond just recognizing it and deciding to write the book? Sure. It's a big leap. <laughs> and it's a leap that keeps leaping, right? <laughs> um, right. You know, it's interesting. I, I, 
I talk in the book about when I was a child sitting at the breakfast table and my parents would have the five uh, local newspapers plus yesterday's or the day before's New York Times splayed out on the table where they would be madly clipping and cutting and then going to their respective typewriters to actually shoot off little missives in the postal mail to say to friends, to colleagues, to loved ones, to relatives, thinking of you. And I continued that through the mode of the technology of the time. So as I came of age professionally and had a fax machine and then the early days of the internet, um, and of course now with social media, where you can not only connect people, but shine lights on people and do so in a, in a broad fashion. And I myself found that I was becoming a slave to the clicks and the likes. And looking at way, looking at the numbers as a means to gauge my success, which was really disconcerting to me. Um, and then a friend of mine told me about a story, uh, not necessarily a story, but she told me about how when she would take her son and daughter to the school bus, and this was, of course, pre-pandemic, she would hug them goodbye and send them up onto the yellow, the big yellow bus, and they would take their respective seats, and they would both proceed as soon as the bus started to drive away to look down at their handheld devices. And she noticed every other child was doing that on the bus as well. And that hit home. And I realized, wait, you know, you might have a message. If somehow we can capture, without going back, I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm definitely not a Luddite. I am a huge proponent of using technology. But how do we bring the intentionality back when we reach mm -hmm. out to people? How do we be mindful? How do we be filled with compassion and caring? So that was what drove me to create the book. Um, and that I think has taken on more of relevance because of the pandemic. Yeah, I, I want to talk more about this. We have to go into our next break. Um, stay with us and I'll be back with Susan McPherson, the founder and CEO of McPherson Strategies. Now the Women to Watch, Military Watch. Hi, I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military Affairs at Comcast, NBC Universal. 2021 is a milestone. It is a significant year for veterans and military families. It's because October 7th marked 20 years since Operation Enduring Freedom in Afghanistan began, and what we often refer to as the post-9-11 military generation, those who would go on to deploy to over 80 countries and 14 combat zones to ensure our national security. Whether in a combat zone or conducting humanitarian aid in disaster areas, military operations are often dangerous and post 9-11 veterans have a far higher disability rating than previous generations. According to the Department of Veterans Affairs, 41% of post 9-11 veterans have a service-connected disability, compared to 25% of all veterans. As our country recognizes National Disability Employment Awareness Month, we at Comcast NBC Universal create an inclusive workplace for individuals with disabilities, including our disabled veteran teammates. For many military veterans, their disability is a result of a traumatic event, and they must spend considerable time relearning how to go about their daily lives differently. And some disabilities experienced by military veterans are hidden injuries and the sensitive nature of these wounds makes sharing their symptoms or triggers with co-workers somewhat difficult. That's why Comcast offers its employees a course in disability etiquette, which includes helping colleagues learn more about the experience of disabled veterans. The program offers ways our teammates can engage with one another with respect, sensitivity, and care. 
Meaningful employment plays a huge part in enabling our disabled veterans to find their new mission and purpose in life. So I urge you to take a moment this month to learn how you can open a door of opportunity for someone living with a disability. Hi, Sue Rocco here, host of Women to Watch. Are you a fan of the show? If so, be sure to sign up for our podcast at womentowatch.net so you never miss a show and can listen on your own time. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back to the show. I'm speaking with Susan McPherson. And um, before the break, Susan, you were sharing kind of your epiphany about recognizing that we're really, um, we have to be careful about how far we, we delve into technology so that we don't lose the human connection, the heart. And um, there's another story I want you to share um, because I think this is a great example and, and really is a beautiful uh, visual. Um, the film producer that you met, a friend asked you to, to introduce mm-hmm. you to a film producer and what that led to, just that act of kindness and saying, sure, I'll help you connect with this person so that you can, um, you know, speak to them about your own idea. T- sure. Tell the listeners that story. Sure. <clears throat> well, I was brought up to believe that every single person, no matter who they are, is deserving of our interest, our curiosity, our kindness, our compassion. And I have taken that to the nth degree, meaning 99% of the time when somebody reaches out and says, can I introduce you to somebody? I generally will say yes. Or can you introduce this person to blah, blah, blah. I generally also say yes. So back in 2017, I received an email from a friend. It was 2.30 in the afternoon, very busy day at my company. And it said, Susan, can I introduce you to Brant Anderson, a film um, producer. He wants to get into a refugee camp tomorrow in Greece. So to level set, one of the boards I serve on is the U.S. arm of the U.N. High Commission for Refugees. So it wasn't such an odd ask. However, two things went through my mind. One, I'm super busy. It was 2.30. I had a three o'clock call that I needed to prepare Secondly, the last thing the world needs is another documentary film about refugees that no one's going to see. So I had these preconceived notions about this person, which, as I finish the story, you will find out could not be closer to the truth. So I decided in the 30 minutes that I had that I would make some calls and lo and behold, was able to get Brant into the refugee camp the next day. When he was there, his commitment to the cause of refugees was solidified. And a few months later, or excuse me, a week later, I learned that he was not a documentary filmmaker. He was actually a big budget Hollywood producer and director who had done many Tom Cruise films. A month later, I received an email from a friend saying, Susan, I um, am looking for a couple of film directors who can go spend 10 days at a refugee camp on the Syrian border in Jordan to teach kids how to make films or tell their stories, uh, kids who had literally escaped from Syria. She was a consultant for the nonprofit CARE. Well, guess what? I had somebody I could ask. I reached out to Brant and within an hour, he not only said yes, but was able to sign up eight other Hollywood producers to go with him. They spent the 10 days helping these kids create 
the most incredibly powerful films. And there's more. He went on to create a 20-minute feature film about the refugee struggle that Angelina Jolie got wind of, watched the film, and now is taking that film around the world to global leaders so that they understand that this refugee crisis is not going away anytime soon. So I will not take credit for obviously all of that happening. (laughs) But when you connect the dots, it was really your decision to say yes and do that. It's so amazing to to see how those introductions play out. And I share that story so that all of us, you know, don't lose sight of the power that we hold when we can actually make connections and the magic that can come from that. Yeah. So it's it's my way of encouraging others when you get that kind of fleeting thought of oh, I'm too busy or there's no point in this. There may very well be a point. Yeah. Um, I want to make sure we get to when we talk the book, um, The Lost Art of Connecting yes. and how you help others understand what really should be happening in those um, conversations um, as opposed to what they think they should when they're networking and and tell our listeners a little bit about that the importance of um, taking an interest in the other person rather than thinking about what you can get sure well the underlying theme of the book is flipping networking on its head I'm not anti-networking but I think when we think of networking traditionally it's it's walking into a room and what can I get what can I walk away with The underlying theme of the book, one of many, is how do I lead with help? How do I flip that switch and walk in the room and think, how can I be supportive of these others? And thereby doing that, how does that come back and help me? Mm -hmm. And I make a conscious effort of sharing this importance of finding our superpowers. We all have them. And during our lifetimes, they change and ebb and flow. So that when we walk into these rooms, whether we are you know, in in a real situation or still in the Zoom Microsoft Teams world, that we know how we can be supportive and helpful. And therefore, when we ask people what are their hopes and dreams, we can come back and figure out how we can be most supportive, making those introductions, connecting the dots for others. Susan, when you're doing um, this work and you're working with other leaders and uh, companies, I wanted to add, you've had an opportunity to interview numerous leaders. Do you tell me some of your favorite questions to ask to kind of get to the heart of who they are? Uh, Well, I always, 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 you know, this past year and a half ask this kind of funny, silly question. But if you could solve one problem in the world and you had two weeks to do it, what would it be? I also love the question at the end of this pandemic, where in the world are you planning to go and why? And these are fun questions. And then sometimes I will even go, you know, even more sillier and say, what was your favorite food as a kid? And if you were to recreate that dish today, how would you recreate it? And these types of, the reason I like these questions is because it really gives you a sense of somebody's background, somebody's upbringing, kind of a a inside out look at somebody in in, in a safe way and not Mm. an an intrusive way. Correct. Yeah. I I love that because obviously, you know, that's really the premise behind this show is is connecting those dots. When we come back, we're going to take our last break. Uh, I'd like to to ask you those very questions. Stay with us and I'll be back with Susan McPherson, founder and CEO of McPherson Strategies. Stay tuned for our watch team. We'll be right back. Women to watch. Sports watch. 
everybody. This is Dr. Jen Welker, and you are listening to Sports Watch. You know, it's interesting every time I hear uh, the phrase trailblazer and people, you know, edify you with it and say it with reverence. And there is a, a visible and visceral feeling and imagery that I get when it comes up. And it's literally that the trailblazer means you're the one taking all the branches to the face, right? Those unattractive branches swing back and smack you not so gently at times in the face and they wake you up and you go, Oh, well that, that was a big branch or that was uncomfortable. And, you know, let me, let me take this ax and, and cut it out of the way so that the next person will have a cleaner path. And, that's what trailblazer means. It means facing the unexpected, taking branches to the face and continuing to push forward so that the second will have an easier journey so that the third will have a path to follow so that you get to a place and a space where you have a fourth, a fifth, a sixth. And at some point you're, you're no longer talking about first because there are strengths in numbers. So the challenge is when you are the first, that also means you are inherently the only. And it means that the entire narrative surrounding something rests squarely on your shoulders. When you are that woman or that person, right, who is a sample set of one, you're setting a standard for what is possible for all other women. Follow me and all my adventures, or you could say misadventures, on Welter47 on Instagram or at jwelter47 on Twitter. Now, more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back. I'm joined this evening uh, by Susan McPherson. And um, Susan, I want to end the show with um, a little bit more, you know, personal questions, but not anything too personal. (laughs) (laughs) Things that you share. um, And you've had a lot of milestones um, over the past 10 years. And two things I'd I'd love for you to talk about. Um, One, you ended what you describe as a toxic relationship. And I wondered if there was a, a moment, a turning point when you decided it's time to go, mm. if you could share that. Ah, that's a, that's a, that's a tough one because it was really a, a series of moments. But when I, I think the when it finally came to me that the headspace inside my brain was so filled with worrying about what this other person's move was, what this other person was doing. And it was detrimental to my own future, to my health, to, to, to my happiness. Um, I wish I could say there was a magic light, but there were so many events leading up to that. I think it was what the, the final stage was when I realized there were more monkeys in my brain caused by this other person than the old, the old monkeys I have. Oh. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yes, um, yes. Yes. And, you know, you mentioned your health and I think, you know, for women, um, it's so very clear to me that what happens in our life directly affects our health, you know, when it comes to stress. And and I know you had two major surgeries yourself. How are you better today, yeah. you know, having been through what you have? Well, this that actually the two surgeries were this year. Um, and 
you know, literally while I launched the book, I uh, found out I had a, two herniated discs in my back. Um, so talk about, you know, <laughs> crisis That's and pain. Painful. Yes. Yeah. In fact, at one point I had 17 lidocaine wraps up and down my leg just so that I wow. could do the book talks. Um, but you know what oh. they say for what, you know, doesn't make you stronger. Right. And I, you know, to, to circle back to my mom and what I went through in my twenties, you know, it prepares you for anything and everything. Mm. Um, it also makes you grateful, right? I mean, grateful for good medical care, grateful for the friends that, that took care of me. Um, and, you know, grateful that now my no more late lidocaine wraps on my leg, but good, uh, good, good, but it definitely was challenging. And, you know, launching a book during a global pandemic with that kind of pain while running a company, I feel like I can do anything now. <laughs> I bet. I bet. You, but you know what, Susan, knowing you just the very short time that we have, um, I think much of your success is directly tied to your um, your attitude, really. How do you, you know, I think it's important uh, for all the women listening, how they can learn to separate the kind of emotional um, right aspect of, of life to what's happening and really stay connected to who they are. It's not easy. And, you know, I, I don't have parents. I don't have kids. I'm single. Um, this past year and a half has been, or 18 months has been hugely challenging from the standpoint of being lonely. Right. So yes. I could have gotten mired in that. And instead I fought tooth and nail in, my, you know, my own demons to step up and, turn it into reaching out to others. Um, not to say it's been easy. There's some mornings I would wake up and be like, oh, but I knew the dopamine I would get from reaching out to others to ask how they are, how I could be supportive of them actually gave me the, the fortitude to keep going. Okay. I mean, I'm blessed in the sense, you know, I, my company's done well. I have amazing colleagues. I have wonderful friends, but that loneliness was hard and it still yeah. is to a certain extent. We're still in this kind of weird vortex. But what I tried to do is those moments, those really down moments, instead of shutting in, I opened up. So mm. if, if others can do that as hard as it may be, it definitely helps get you out of yourself by reaching out to others. I'm not a, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a social worker. So, you know, obviously, if you are having challenges in your life, seek expertise to help you through. But don't shut yourself in. Reach out to others. Um, okay, I want to ask you one of your favorite questions. And yes. if you could wave a magic wand and change one major problem in the world, what would it be? Well, I have to believe that the most pressing problem we are facing today is, is climate change. Um, having worked in sustainability for many years, I, have, I, have, I heeded the call early. Um, the good news is, is the world is catching up. There's a, you know, it's no longer over there, you know, 3,000 miles away from our home. It's right here, right in our backyards. But I think in, in, even more important is this notion of it's connected to everything else. And those of us who want to make a difference have to realize that climate change is in here, uh, racial inequality over here, COVID over here, everything is connected. So every little bit, every action that each of us takes affects it all. And I think sometimes we think, oh, it's too much. But no, every little action we can do individually helps. If you can speak up for somebody who is being marginalized, if you can stop using straws, you know, these things we feel like if we do one of them isn't enough. But if we do them every day, mm -hmm. we will make a difference. Can you tell me um, just a few minutes we have left? What are you 
two questions. What are you most excited about right now in in your work with your company? Um, is there anything on the horizon? Another book, perhaps? <laughs> another project? What are you What are you secretly working on, Susan? Well, I would love to fall in love again, which has Aww. nothing to do with work. Um, oh, I've been single yeah. for seven years, so. Um, I realize that might be not where you were going with that question. No, I, lo- um, I love that answer. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I'm my birthday's coming up, and it would be a wonderful thing to to it would be a wonderful gift to fall in love again. Um, also, I think you know this past year has been certainly filled with incredible highs and incredible lows. I I'm looking forward to really um, you know getting to know my new employees. We've we've hired four or five new employees this past year, and because of COVID, I haven't met them. Um, and I think I'm, I'm most excited at the fact that um, corporate, uh, corporate social responsibility, what now is oftentimes being called ESG, corporate philanthropy, is becoming mainstream. So uh, I take that and, and company corporate impact is becoming so vitally important for, for everything. So I feel really good that we are rooted in that space. So I'm excited yeah. about that. Yeah. I agree. And I see it in our younger generation, you know, um, kind of demanding it. And it's it's important to them. It's wonderful to see. Um, Susan, I thank you so much for taking time to share your story so transparently and openly. And I wish you continued success. <laughs> thank you, Sue. It has been a joy. And right back at you. That is it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Stay tuned next week for my conversation with our very own Financial Watch contributor, Jean Vidoni, who is the president and CEO of Penn Community Bank. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.